the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, in the first half of the show, I'll be looking at the state of the German economy, with the Bundesbank declaring this week that it was in recession. In the second part, Kira O'Brien will explain why TikTok is cutting jobs globally and why Dublin-based executive Anne Sheehan is on the move within Microsoft. First to the German economy. On Monday, the Bundesbank said Europe's biggest economy was likely in recession due to weak external demand and the impact of high borrowing costs on investment. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times joined me in studio to discuss the implications of this for the EU and Ireland. But I began by asking Derek Scally, Berlin correspondent of the Irish Times, to describe the mood on the ground in Germany and to explain the factors behind the dip in the German economy. Here we go. I think in Germany it's it's hard to say because obviously the high street is important but German um, industry and exporters are even more important than in Ireland because Germany is a country that makes things, exports things, the cars, the kitchens, the high-tech stuff. It makes the machines that make stuff for the rest of the world. So the high streets seem all right um, but uh, we have seen a lot of insecurity because of the collapse of the Sigma property group. Uh, they own BT and uh, Arnett's uh, in a rather complicated fashion. It's a massive um, retail and property portfolio company, and it's in it's just basically a meltdown. And a lot of uh, German department stores are hit by this. So you're starting to see cracks in the German high street. But yeah, if you look, things look all right. But uh, Germany has been in and out of recession. I mean, when when the Bundesbank announced it this week, everyone was like, right, so we're, we're an end to the pretense because you know 2023 it was in recession for a quarter, then it stagnated, then it was out, then it was in. So um, you know, two consecutive quarters of, uh, of negative growth were finally there. But if you talk to many German companies, we've been here for some time. Yeah. Now, we know the impacts that the Ukraine war has had on Germany in particular and, and the energy situation. How has Germany coped with that, Derek? I'm also curious as well, you mentioned that Germany is actually a country that makes things and um, motor cars is one of the things that Germany is famous for. So again, the transition to electric vehicles, how is that going for German uh, manufacturers? Yeah, well, just the first question, how are things going? I mean, a year ago, we had Chancellor Olaf Scholz and his government saying, whoa, we dodged a bullet, things weren't so bad. We were a year after the Russian invasion, gotten through the first proper winter, and um, Germany had to break its uh, addiction to German or to Russian energy, to Russian gas very quickly. It pivoted away. It bought and liquefied natural gas and other things. Nobody froze. Industry got through. There was lots of billions of uh, subsidies going around. But in the year since then, we've slowly started to see, well, this is the new reality. It's not just about getting through winter. It's about giving a whole country a new energy energy and industrial base. And we're not there yet. There's no security. Uh, manufacturing companies say, we don't know what we're going to be paying for energy in, in six months, let alone in a year's time. So that's huge insecurity. And and the government is just fighting about the West best way to get beyond sort of the post-shock phase of the pandemic and Ukraine. So we can talk about that a little bit more later, but we're dealing with huge ideological uh, contradictions there. Um, in terms of uh, manufacturing things, 
Um, we've seen a bizarre story today. Uh, Tesla have a, f- a factory just outside Berlin, and they really came. They brought the they sort of brought the battle to the home of the automobile, and they said, "We can make e-cars. We're going to ele- electronic cars, and we're going to do it here in Germany." They've been doing it very successfully, um, but uh, the the town where the factory is has actually said they've had a, a referendum: Do we want to allow Tesla to expand? And the locals have said no. Um, they said, "You know, this has been growing too fast. The company is." Um, yeah, moving fast and breaking things, including their water supply and other infrastructure problems. So it's a non-binding referendum, but it just shows you, you know, an external company like Tesla comes and gives a, a, a rather depressed economic region near Berlin a boost and, and they don't really want it. So it's it's bizarre. The German car industry themselves, they say, you know, if you ask them off the record, they say, we're not really worried about Tesla. We're just worried that basically China is going to eat our lunch and our dinner and our breakfast. And you're already starting to see the German brands, they're, no, they're not yet household names, but moving into uh, German cities with their showrooms and so on. So I think um, uh, somebody I know who works for Mercedes-Benz, they said, yeah, we'll never admit it in public, but the Chinese are on the move, very aggressive, and we're not worried about Tesla, we're worried about them. Right. I, I presume they're talking about BYD as an example. I, I think you, may, you mentioned that um, uh, it's Chinese companies who are setting up these uh, showrooms. I presume that's what you meant. I think you mentioned uh, Germany. Cliff, I might bring you in at this point. When when Germany sneezes, does the European Union catch a cold? And what's the impact of a recession, technical or not, on a country like Ireland? Yeah, certainly a big factor for Europe, whatever happens in Germany. Traditionally, the powerhouse of Europe uh, and all that. And I think its travails have been closely watched. I think it's interesting in Ireland, talking to business people here, that uh, we've had the same kind of, uh, I suppose, mood to some extent as as has happened in Germany over the last year. Everyone felt, oh, we got through the pandemic, we got through the cost of living crisis. But they're now realising there's been a long tail to those things. Costs are much higher than they were and are going up further. People are kind of doing their sums and struggling a little bit inward investment still strong enough here but but I think it's tailed off a little bit from 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 its absolute heights uh, so a feeling that this year is going to be kind of bumpy I think for Ireland uh, ups and downs pluses and minuses we've had a, f- a few really strong years leading up to the pandemic then obviously the interruption of the pandemic then a really strong boost coming out of the pandemic but looking at what the European Commission for example said last week they were saying, look, Ireland can't entirely escape from what's going on in Europe. Europe is one of the big markets for Irish companies uh, and they cut the GDP growth forecast for Ireland pretty substantially for this year to to 1.3%. We've got used to, I suppose, Ireland defying reality or defying gravity, I suppose you might say, in terms of what's happening everywhere else. But maybe we're entering into a period when we're going to be more in line with, with other countries. Rather than having the wind behind us on all fronts, there'll be more ups and downs. So I think what is happening in Germany and, and the big European economies, our big markets, is important. And it is on balance a, a negative for this year. The one flip side to that, I suppose, is that if Germany's weak, if France is weak, if the European economy is weak, then inflation's going to come down. And that will hopefully mean lower interest rates from the ECB. So that, if you like, is, is the plus side of weaker Eurozone growth from the Irish point of view. Yeah, just looking at the European Commission forecast for Germany, actually it's revised them um, just earlier this month. So for last year, they're saying the economy GDP probably declined 0.3%, so, you know, more or less flat. For the current year, they're expecting an increase of 0.3%, so 
flat again. And in 2025, an increase of 1.2%. And inflation over that period last year, they're saying it averaged 6%, uh, 24. They're talking about 2.8% and moderating to 2.4% uh, in 2025. 6% for last year, quite high actually. Um, when you think about it, you kind of forget about these uh, uh, figures. Um, the Irish number is um, is below that now. We're in the sort of four and a half to five zone, aren't we? We are. And uh, I think there's no doubt inflation is coming down right across Europe. Sluggish growth is a factor there. And I think it just, you know, interesting dilemma for the ECB now coming up, when to start cutting rates uh, and how quickly to cut them over the balance of this year. Because on the one side, you may have some stickiness in inflation in some places, even though wage growth in, in big economies like Germany seems to be uh, seems to be moderating as well. But on the other side, you have these reports from Germany and, and, and the like that growth is, growth is weak. There's a risk of higher interest rates making that worse. Yeah. Derek, the ECB, of course, is based in Frankfurt. And while it's an independent body, I suppose it's, it's, uh, it will be aware of um, the, the pressures that are currently at play in the German economy. It's the biggest economy in the European Union. Just wondering if there's any political pressure being brought to bear, if you like, in Germany for the ECB to move on interest rates? No, I mean, they'll never say that in public. I think the government here, the trouble is that they're so at war with each other. Um, it's really, they don't even know what would their best uh, interest rate policy be because you've got a Liberal Party, Christian Lindner, the finance minister is head of the Free Democrats, the Liberal Party, and they're kind of saying we need to, we need efficiencies, we need to sort of slash and burn, and we need to sort of st- allow the market to sort of unleash itself and, and, and re- return to the German economy to growth. And, and then he's got two coalition partners, the Social Democrats and the Greens, and they're basically saying, no, we need to, you know, anti-cyclical investment is the way to go. So you've got this old, it's like the euro crisis across Europe, but now happening in Germany within the government. You know, one camp saying cut and then do limited stimulus. The other camp saying stimulate our way out of this and then pull back when uh, when the private economy picks up. So it's it's a, a disaster. One thing I would actually say, which I think is rather significant, um, is the, the property market here. I mean, construction is grinding to a halt, partly because of what Cliff was mentioning, the rising costs, interest rates, and so on. Um, but uh, the also residential property, we have had um, last year the highest price fall in 60 years. Now, it's not quite Irish record price falls. It was down not nearly 9% in residential apartments, and but about 20% in houses. Um, now, this is countrywide average, so cities like Berlin, Munich, and so on, desirable place. They've had less of a slump, but it is a remarkable correction. We've seen something similar happening in the commercial uh, property sector. And once again, Germany, with its emphasis on manufacturing, it's not quite as dependent on the high street or the property on the high street or offices. Um, but it is still a factor. I was looking today that uh, short selling against the Deutsche Fanbrief Bank, which will strike terror into some Irish crisis uh, followers' uh, hearts. The Depfa used to be called. It has another name now and a new owner. But it's one of the largest property uh, lenders here. And short selling against it is um, up to um, its, its shares are down 30% because short selling is at a record level. So investors are borrowing shares and betting that the shares will drop. They've dropped 30%. So I think that's slightly worrying. That's something we're not used to here. The German property market is usually not seen as volatile. But we've got the interest rates. We've got uh, the, the Cigna collapse, which is just a massive unsolved dilemma. Nobody's quite sure how bad that's going to get. So there is that insecurity there. And then you've got all this homemade stuff. So you've got Germany has a, a three-way coalition, which is 
ideologically at odds with each other. They all agree that, you know, Robert Habeck, the Green economics minister, he's saying, look, the German economy is dramatically bad. Christian Lindner, the liberal finance minister, is saying, yeah, it's nigh on embarrassing. And those two houses, they're basically at war with each other. But at the moment, they say they're going to put together a program for the spring, some sort of a stimulus program, some sort of a efficiency program. But when you ask them what they're planning, it all just seems to be little bits and pieces cobbled together, stuck together. That's probably not going to impress too many people. So we're just over halfway through this term, but it's really hard to see this government continuing going on because they just can't really agree on on who they are, what they want and where they're going. Derek, we mentioned the energy crisis which came out of the Ukraine war and we're heading for, we're almost at the second anniversary of that now. But what are the other elements to the Ukraine war that are impacting on, on Germany? For example, uh, military spending, presumably Germany is putting a lot more now or looking at putting a lot more spending into uh, its military capability and, and they're looking to get up to that 2% figure, aren't they, of, of GB, GDP, uh, which is um, sort of part of the, the NATO requirement. Yeah, I mean, in, in both sort of externally and internally, uh, Germany is really up there. I mean, we have to remember two years ago, Germany was still very much in the shadow of the post-war era. It would never consider sending its troops elsewhere in anything resembling a combat or near combat situation and it certainly wouldn't be supplying anyone with arms. So there was Germany, one of the largest arms manufacturers in the world but not actually prepared to, to pass on stuff to anyone in a conflict situation. Now, in absolute terms, it's the, it's the biggest supplier to Ukraine um, in Europe. I mean, Poland per head, per capita is higher but Germany in terms of absolute terms and yeah, Germany doesn't just make cars, it makes tanks, it makes anti-aircraft machinery and you know companies like Rheinmetall the big um uh, the big arms companies, I mean, they're having, without wanting to sound cynical, they're having a very good war in Ukraine because they're the people who are supplying everything. Uh, the trouble is Germany is trying to restock its own, um, it's, it has 100 billion euro, uh, euro in cash to spend, but it's it's on the one hand exporting a lot to Ukraine via Poland, uh, but it's trying to buy in and uh, up, up its own sort of very, very flagging military. And yeah, there's a lot of money to spend. Schultz said last week, responding without naming Trump but responding to Trump saying we will meet the 2% uh, target this year but um, yeah I think people will believe it when they see it there's still an awful lot of inefficiencies in the German military but things are definitely happening but perhaps not as hap- as quickly as some people would like. What about the impact of immigration? Angela Merkel famously agreed to take a, a million migrants didn't she during the uh, crisis the Mediterranean crisis there some years ago what's the situation now? Um, last year, as far as I remember, was another record year. It was something like 300,000. I'd have to double check the figures, but it was definitely a record year. The trouble with immigration here is you've, it, it's basically uh, it's a division of labour. So the, the federal government will decide what the policy is uh, and the, the rules on keeping people or sending people back. But it's very much the local authorities, local states, uh, 16 states, and then hundreds of municipalities. They're the ones who have to house these people, have to find um, find something for them to do and so on and they're struggling they're saying we cannot keep uh, the policies you want cannot we cannot make them work at local level so you're seeing that uh, those frustrations they will be very visible later this year in September we have uh, three state elections in eastern states and so the government is very unpopular anyway but uh, the pressures on housing and so on um, record rents in most German cities those will be feeding very much into the local uh, anti-government mood uh, in three east German states in September. 
Cliff, just coming to you, what's your, what's your best guess on uh, what the ECB will do with interest rates? Guess is the word, all right. I think they'll try and hold out a bit longer. I'd be surprised if they hadn't cut by June or, or in June. I think the June meeting is probably the most likely what level? one where we see a cut. So I think they'll start small, uh, quarter point cut probably, and, and aim to tick forward with quarter point cuts for a while. The advantage they have is that interest rates are, are significantly in restrictive territory now in terms of their impact on economies. So the ECB can cut a fair bit and interest rates will still be holding back economies, if you like, and fighting inflation. Uh, they're, a long, they're a long way above what's called any kind of estimate of the neutral level, the level you know, that is neither, n- neither stimulates nor, pu- uh, nor pulls back on, on, on economic growth. So they have leeway there. Uh, I think they'll start over the summer. There's been a lot of coming and going and there'll be a bit more, I think, before it happens. Start over the summer, succession of quarter point cuts. Um, you know, will rates be maybe three quarters of a point lower by the end of the year than they are now? Uh, the markets think it might be a bit more than that, one point plus, but somewhere in that territory, I'd be surprised if it doesn't go that direction. So people should probably sit in their hands for now if they, if they need to make a decision on on their mortgage rate. Yeah, I mean, it does come down to individual circumstances, and for example, you know, people who are buying new houses. Which are generally high high energy ratings. There's there are good offers in the market uh, on that front uh, for high BER ratings and, and some other decent offers around. But but you're right in, in general. I don't think people should be locking in for long periods at close to five percent at the moment, as you know, as they would do if they were taking some of the three or five year offers from some of the lenders. Uh, there's a case to sit on their hands, but also I think they need to realise that fixed rates, which most people are on didn't go up by anything like as much as ECB rates went up. So the scope for them to come down is is lower as well. So I think they will be lower by the end of the year, but perhaps not that much lower. Derek, just wondering about uh, pay rates in Germany. Is there, because of the level of inflation and all the costs of living issues that we've talked about, uh, and I noted that Lufthansa uh, pilots, there was some disruption to Lufthansa services on Monday because they're looking for, I think it's 12% or thereabouts pay increase. Is that kind of pressure coming into the market at the moment uh, across employers? Yeah, we've had huge strikes here um, in public sector transport, uh, German rail. And yeah, you mentioned... You mentioned um, uh, Lufthansa. There's there, there have been huge sector demands, you know, 10, 12 percent plus, um, you know, one-off inflation compensation. But I mean, the there was a big there was a big pay deal done last year. A two-year two deal was struck um, for public sector workers, so um, civil servants and so on. And that was a, already an 11 percent pay hike last year. So I think that's one of them. The German car industry is always one to watch. I'm not sure that there's been a deal there, but um, yeah, there's, there's sporadic strikes, transport, uh, we're probably going to see in healthcare, but um, it's, it's, I think it's like an island. It's, it's, it's knocking its way through. Once one sector sees a deal, the next come, but it all seems to be like 10, 12% pay increases plus, you know, three, 4,000 um, uh, inflation um, one-off payment. Cliff, we've had a pay deal uh, offered certainly to public sector workers here just above 10%. Uh, it's still to be balloted on um, by large numbers, but I think there's a, a view that it will be accepted. Is it affordable? For us? And I, I see that Lingus Pilot's not happy with a, a 12% offer from the company. Yeah, it's 10% over two and a half years, so works out at around 4% a year, a bit more for, for lower paid workers. I mean, it's probably 
the least I expect that the government could have got away with or I don't think they could have got away with an awful lot less given that that is kind of the marker where private sector settlements are now certainly in, in bigger companies in, in most bigger companies the unions in fact pressing for a bit more in the private sector I think certainly the original union demands were were, were unaffordable at you know 12.5% they were well over the top but equally I think the government probably low-balled it and the, the compromise was predictable it is affordable if uh, assuming the economy continues to grow and, and the tax revenues keep coming in but there is as ever a, a trade-off between employing more public servants and paying the ones that you have more money uh, and we do need to employ a lot more public servants in areas like health and education, which are which are short, in areas like planning, right across even even in areas like the civil service. So there's going to be a balancing act there for the government in the years to come. They need to hold on, hold on to the people they have to the largest extent possible, particularly those with, with particular skills, but they also need to attract a lot more people in. OK, final word to you, Derek. Um, what are the key sort of milestones for the German economy and the German government this year? What What should we be looking out for? Well, last year, their first budget was thrown out by the Constitutional Court. They said they were trying to repackage corona um, um, corona emergency measures sort of to, to, to bankroll their climate uh, policies. But this, so they just about got a budget over the line. Um, but we're going to have a budget, the budget negotiations for 2025 are already underway. So if they, if they can't really agree on this, and it's not looking good, uh, I think, you know, by summer, we have a serious crisis here. Um, and we have... You know, one of the parties isn't going to make it back into Parliament if there was an election. So on the one hand, they can't agree to be in government, but the polls are so disastrous that none of them really would be interested to leave. So worst case scenario, we're sort of going to have 18 more months of just this drift. And um, one of the German lobby, main employer lobby groups described the, the atmosphere for the general environment for doing business in Germany is toxic. Um, and you know, the government is sort of agreeing with him, but they're describing the situation as if they're in, in, in opposition and not in government. But yeah, they're in opposition to each other in government. And that looks like it could drag on for some time. Cliff. Looking at Germany and also looking at France that announced big budget cuts this week is how lucky we are to some extent to have the big flood of corporation tax money because the Irish government can put together budgets which give away large amounts of money and can probably continue to do that for another couple of years to come, whereas elsewhere in Europe, slower growth means cutbacks. We've got an election uh, that has to be held within the next 12 months. And Sinn Féin were riding high in the polls there for a a long time. They've had a recent knock uh, in support. We've seen that from recent polls. But nonetheless, they are still the the, the biggest party in the polls. and, you know, you kind of get the sense from talking anecdotally to the business community that there's nervousness about Sinn Féin uh, getting into government or leading the, the next uh, government. What impact might a Sinn Féin government have on, on the Irish economy and particularly multinational support in the Irish yeah, economy? Yeah, I think, I don't think multinationals are going to do anything, you know, the day after Sinn Féin's elected or the day after that again. But there's no doubt that it's a new departure in Irish politics uh, to have Sinn Féin leading a government and they're going to be watching very carefully, I should say. You know, on one side, Sinn Féin have gone out, as we know, to California and other parts of America. They've met the senior executives here and there. They've assured them that they want to keep a low corporation tax here, that they're not going to upset the apple cart, if you like, in terms of in terms of policies. And I think that will have reassured those companies to some extent. But equally, they will have some concerns about other Sinn Féin policies, for example, in the areas of personal tax, proposals to hike tax significantly on people earning over 140k uh, and, and hike it you know, to some extent on people earning over 100k and a lot of those are working in multinational land. Uh, so I think that will be a factor. 
And I think the other factor then uh, for whoever gets in power next time that multinationals and other investors will be watching is their ability to get things done, to get houses built, to get the electricity grid upgraded, to get more water resources uh, available because these are really the factors that are that are threatening Ireland, I think, over the next 10 years or so. Maybe like the Germans, uh, as Derek mentioned earlier with the referendum on Tesla, maybe we should have a referendum on data centres. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Data centres are only part of it, I'm afraid. Uh, you're right, they're, they're an issue for the electricity grid. But it just seems to take forever to get things done here. The north-south interconnector, the plan to bring water from uh, the Shannon to Dublin. Uh, all these things have been on the books now for for years, been proposed for years. The problems have been well identified, well discussed, Everyone agrees that something must be done, but nobody wants to upset anybody by doing that something. And so nothing happens. And I think with local elections coming up in the summer and a general election on the horizon, we're not going to see much much, much change in that. I think that's the thing that's going to really, the multinational investors will be watching from the next government. Together, of course, with, with tax policies and all the day-to-day stuff. OK, Derek Scully and Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. Thank you. I'm going to take a short break now. In a few moments, Irish Times technology journalist Kira O'Brien will explain why Chinese social media platform TikTok is cutting jobs globally. Back in a few moments. How can harnessing the power of AI help drive your business? At EY, we combine leading business expertise with cutting-edge technology and capabilities. Working directly with you to plan your strategy we will accelerate your AI-enabled transformation. To learn more, visit ey.ai forward slash IE. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. This week, it emerged that TikTok will cut hundreds of jobs worldwide, leading to fears that there could be a hit to its Irish operation. Kira O'Brien covered the story for the Irish Times and joined me on the line to discuss it. I began by asking her to outline what she knows about the job-cutting plan. So TikTok has said this week that it would cut hundreds of jobs globally, but it's likely to impact Ireland in particular, even though they haven't announced the exact figures yet because of the type of work that we do here. There's a number of different elements to TikTok's business in Ireland. They do trust and safety data protection. But the particular team that's affected by this is the company's training and quality team. So they haven't said exactly how many jobs they're going to cut in Ireland. But from asking around, there's a, a sources in the industry basically believe that it will significantly impact Irish staff. The trust and safety teams aren't, which are responsible for the moderation on the platform, aren't being hit by this particular round of job cuts. So to put it in context, there's around 3,000 people who are currently employed in TikTok Ireland. And... If you have a look at their website at the moment, the company is obviously still continuing to recruit for key roles. And this has been kind of the pattern that we've seen across the the, the job cuts, that while they're cutting back in some areas, they're still recruiting in others, uh, which is obviously not good news for the people whose jobs are, are going. But it does mean that the companies themselves are not cutting because they're in trouble as such. They're cutting because there are a number of factors at play, but they're, you know, they're, they're cutting because they're trying to kind of right-size their business and trying to focus on their priorities. Again, not something that is uh, particularly of concern to the people who are losing their jobs or is particularly comforting to the people who are losing their jobs. But TikTok is not the only company that's cutting back. We've already seen Google trimmed some jobs, a small number of jobs in Ireland, uh, a few hundred worldwide at the start of the year. And PayPal is also cutting back about 200 jobs from its Irish workforce. That's about 11% because, again, this global 
right-sizing of the company. So that means that you know PayPal will employ just over 1,600 people here. So it's still a significant number. But again, you know, what we're seeing is the tech companies are being hit by the varying uh, forces, the market forces that have hit other companies in recent months. And, you know, it just proves that the tech sector is not immune. Yeah, my perception, Kira, of TikTok would be that it's booming. You know, I, I you hear about so many people being on TikTok and uh, all the views they get and it's the hip place to be. And uh, I suppose the gloss has gone off uh, because of Elon Musk's uh, takeover and so forth. So, And it's, it's a younger cohort of people who are using um, TikTok as well. So why why are they cutting jobs globally? Well, there's a few reasons. And it's not just TikTok, it's all tech companies. So we know, obviously, tech companies had a bit of a boom. So from, say, about 2018, 2019 onwards, up until around 2022, through the pandemic, things were very, very good for the tech companies. So they were hiring, they were expanding, they benefited from the increased focus on digital services across the board. I mean, TikTok in particular got a lot of eyeballs during the pandemic because we were all at home, we were all bored and there was this new thing. People were learning dances, people were sharing stuff on TikTok. It really took off during the pandemic. And all of these tech companies, you know, they, they kind of counted on this continuing. They hired accordingly. They had their big expansion plans. We all know what happened next. Things normalised, the economy caught up with tech. They all started cutting jobs. And there were several kind of large-scale layoffs announced at the end of 2022 into 2023. So Meta, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple, they all cut thousands of jobs from the, the kind of peak employment that they'd seen in the years before. And that's kind of trickled into 2024. Now, as I said, you know, we've seen kind of the likes of, of Google cutting jobs globally. Amazon has also cut jobs, but these are more targeted cuts than they were before. Before what they were saying was, look, we're going to cut 10,000 jobs. We're going to cut another 12,000 jobs. You know, all these companies were coming up with these big numbers that they needed to cut off their uh, staff numbers. And then they were telling people where they were going to cut them from after some consultation. So these, this time now, it's kind of, you know, it, it's more, much more targeted. So the companies are identifying, I suppose, the areas where they could possibly cut back. Meta, for example, cut some middle management jobs earlier this year. Microsoft cut jobs from its video games division. TikTok, you know, it's this particular this particular team, this training kind of quality team that they're they're talking about. Now, there's a few things going on. The shift in business priorities. So again, we're coming back to this right sizing, where they are trying to balance the business a bit more. Companies are moving their priorities to new areas of the business. One thing that is seems to be coming up more and more is obviously AI. Uh, companies are now spending billions on AI technology that they think will, I suppose, at some point benefit their business or be worth more than what they're investing. Um, we saw Meta, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO, basically said uh, to analysts on a call a couple of weeks ago that they had to lay off uh, staff and they had to kind of keep a tight rein on costs to invest in what he called long-term ambitious visions around AI. He also said that you know the company operated better when it was leaner. Which brings us to the second thing, efficiency. You know, we've seen companies go through this year of efficiency and companies cut a lot of jobs last year. They mm. still stayed in business. You know, their their uh, their share price didn't drop to the floor. 
Well, they more than stayed in business, didn't they? Because if you look at Meta, it had uh, earnings out recently and uh, it announced that it's going to pay a first dividend to shareholders. It's also talking about a $50 billion share buyback and its market cap has been above a trillion dollars. Which brings me to kind of the, the third reason why they're all doing this. It's kind of a contagion effect. One company does it, they all want to follow. Share prices have gone up when they've cut staff. They want to keep their shareholders happy. Uh, in general, you know, they want to keep investors happy if they're not a public company. So... It's, yeah, there is an element of, well, you know, this company is doing it, we can do it too, we can survive with less. If this company can survive with fewer employees, why can't we? Or, you know, shareholders are asking those questions. And the companies have benefited significantly from those those cutbacks. I mean, I don't think you could actually look at, say, the likes of Google and say they really needed to lose 200 jobs in an ad sales division or they needed to lose 1,000 jobs in another particular, in an augmented reality division. You know, they didn't need to do it. You know, they have piles of cash, but they chose to do it because it benefits their share price, it benefits their shareholders, it keeps everybody happy except obviously the staff who are are being laid off. And the only thing is now obviously a lot of these staff who are being laid off have gone on to different jobs. I mean, we've seen the amount of job cuts that were were brought in even in Ireland. And if you look at the CSO figures, uh, that they look at the, uh, the ICT, the employment in the ICT sector, the most recent ones, showed that uh, it was six, almost 6,000 IT workers left or lost their, their jobs in the technology sector last year. Now, there was obviously far more jobs lost, announced, job losses announced than those 6,000. So people obviously went on to different jobs. And we've seen that, you know, you can see it even within your own circle where somebody will have left one particular company and walked straight into a job with another tech company because what happened in the last couple of years was the likes of Google... Facebook, now Meta, they were hoovering up all the tech talent in various markets, including in Dublin. It was very hard for, say, smaller companies who arguably are doing more innovative stuff to get people to come work for them because they couldn't offer the kind of packages. I mean, they can't afford Mm. to match the salaries that the big tech companies can provide. So, this is something like which we saw with the last kind of round of tech bust job losses in the early 2000s. Usually what happens is it's followed by a period of innovation because all of these people who lose their jobs, their, their high tech jobs, or they take voluntary redundancy or whatever from these companies, they go off into the tech sector. They either do their own thing or they go and work with these startups. And it has a, a kind of a rising tide lifts yeah. all ships kind of effect on the, the tech industry. Yeah, there's a broad ecosystem. We should say that the CSO, uh, figures from the CSO show that in December last year, there were 5,800 fewer people employed in the ICT sector in Ireland um, than there were uh, 12 months uh, prior to that. So that just gives a scale of the um, of the number of jobs that I suppose went in the sector last year. Just uh, one final point in a slightly different uh, realm. Anne Sheen, who is leading the general manager of the Microsoft Ireland uh, business here, she's only been in the role for a couple of years, but uh, she's moving on to a, a different post. Tell us about that. Yes, she is. Um, this is something that, that emerged in the last couple of days and obviously has been in the job since Katrina Hallahan left uh, in October, I think it was 2021. And Katrina was in that job for, for nine years, um, did a very good job of getting Microsoft to where Microsoft Ireland to where it is um, and took over. She came from Vodafone and now is moving on to a European role. Now, we don't have exact details on whether or not they'll be based in Dublin or further afield or who is going to take over. But I believe the start of April is when they're going to... Um, She's going to step down and they are on the hunt at the moment at the moment for a new general manager. So it'll be an, an interesting uh, an interesting change, I think, for staff in Microsoft as well. And 
you know, obviously, if you if you feel you can do the job, maybe now's the time to get in touch with a few recruiters. Okay, Kira Bryan, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Derek Scally, Cliff Taylor and Kira O'Brien for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on X, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world.